the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. The gift of teaching doesn't necessarily mean that you can stand up in the pulpit. What it does mean, however, is that you are able to clearly, as an elder, discern between what is true doctrine and what is heresy. See, if if I start, for example, just start preaching heresy and then invite you to start drinking some Kool-Aid, okay, there are a group of men around me that will rein me in and kick me out. Would you agree that sometimes a checklist is beneficial to have? You can just tick those items off that are essential components of your end goal. Paul provides this in his letter to Timothy concerning church elders and leaders. He lists character traits that a God-fearing individual should be displaying within the body of believers in order that they are effective in reaching every lost soul. Today, Pastor Gary explains the responsibilities and necessary jobs that teachers should be doing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection one school of thought that the U.S. Constitution is a living document that can change based on cultural changes, or is it a static document? That is to say, should the Constitution be interpreted based on the original intent of the founders? Okay, and so that's the debate. Now, you can fall in whatever camp you prefer. I remember hearing once uh, when Justice Scalia was still alive and he was lecturing at Princeton University and he, he, he made a joke. It wasn't really true, but he said when school children, and he clarified it later, but he said, when school children come to the Supreme Court and, and I hear them, when I ask them a question about what's their, what's their idea about the U.S. Constitution, he said, many children say that it's a living document, because that's what they're learning in school. And Scalia said, I tell them over and over again, it's not a living document, it's dead, dead, dead. And then he clarified, he says, I don't really say it like that. But he says, that, that's, that's what I believe, and that's what I uh, believe is, is important in terms of the original intent behind the founders and the document, that, that it is, and, and Scalia, I had the privilege of meeting Scalia once. He was pounding down some sliders and washing it down with, with wine, but that's another story for another day. Anyway, true story. But uh, what, what Scalia's angle was, was that, listen, this is, this is an enduring, he liked the word enduring versus living. It's an enduring document. 
But, but it doesn't change just because culture changes. We have to understand original intent and design. I personally lean towards that as the original uh, intent behind the interpretation of the Constitution, and that's my bent on the Bible, okay? The Bible doesn't change because culture changes. It's an enduring document. It's an enduring Word of God. Now, it is the living Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 talks about it as a living Word of God. It's the living document. But it's in the sense of not that it is altering based on changes in culture, but in, in the sense that it's a living Word of God, enduring Word of God, because it constantly addresses the human heart regardless of what generation you come from. Because we have the similar issue at hand, which is we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and me. So in that sense, it's living because it it doesn't expire. That message and that truth is relevant for all generations and for all time. So it is the living word of God, Hebrews 4.12, but Peter would write in 1 Peter 1.23 that it is the living and enduring word of God. And for that reason, we shouldn't look at Scripture through a cultural lens. We need to look at Scripture in terms of what is God's original intent and design behind what he's saying. And therefore, when you look at it through that lens, you realize that because God is a loving father, he doesn't disparage either gender. He values each gender and he values and esteems men for who men are and women for who women are. And he says, now listen, in order to keep a certain order within a family and a structure within the church, this is how I've designed men in terms of stepping up to the plate and assuming some leadership here and being godly examples. Now, let me frame it for you this way, uh, in case you're still a little struggling with, with some of this. God calls all of us, if you're a Christ follower, God calls all of us to be an example of Christ in our world. True? True. All of us are to be an example of Christ in the world. In particular, God calls, in, in reference to the home and marriage, God calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ supremely love his bride, the church? By dying for her, okay? And Jesus would even say in John chapter 15, no greater love as a man, but that he would lay down his life for his friend. So the supreme sacrifice that Christ paid was to offer his life for all of us, to lay down his life. Now, check this out. So men are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, And to be the ultimate example of the supreme example of Christ means that men should be willing to lay down their lives. The fact of the matter is, and this is going to sound stereotypical to some, but the fact of the matter is that men are wired to lay down their lives. There's honor and virtue in giving of a life. Now, obviously there are exceptions. There are cowards. There are men who are cowards. But in general, men are wired to lay down their lives. And we are all too familiar with the scenes of some gunman coming into a public room or a school or, or, or some venue. And typically, instinctively, men will throw themselves over women and children to protect them. Now, a woman will do that for her children, no question about that. But instinctively, a woman is not going to throw herself on her husband. That's laughable. It's true. Unless she knows that she's married one of those cowards. And then she's like, I got to protect you. 
So typically, typically, this is why it, it, it makes rational sense to us, who typically throws themselves in protecting others is going to be a man protecting uh, women and children. Again, a woman will certainly do that for her children, but instinctively she won't do that for a man because God has hardwired men to protect and to throw themselves and to offer their lives. That's the supreme sacrifice. That's the example that Christ set for us in the ultimate way. And men are hardwired to do that. And as examples of Christ should be even more so willing to do that. Now, if a man then has 51% of the responsibility... Okay, Leadership 101 means that he needs authority commensurate with the responsibility. So if a man is called by God to be that guy who will ultimately lay down his life, then he has 51% of the responsibility, and thus he should get some authority commensurate with that responsibility. So the reality is 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not given to us, not intended to be unfair to women, it's intended to be fair to men. It is saying, listen, you guys have to step up to the plate and be loving spiritual leaders in the home, in the church, even to the point of laying down your life if you really want to follow the supreme example of Christ. And so commensurate with that comes some authority, God says. I'm going to call you to a higher level of responsibility And with that, I'm going to give you a measure of authority commensurate with that responsibility. So then what God does here through Paul into chapter 3 is he says, now, here's how men who are called to positions of responsibility and authority are to be qualified. And so, again, as it relates to the church, and I want to clarify that again, and I said it last week, but I just want to make mention In talking about roles, responsibilities, authority, that isn't to say that women don't make excellent CEOs, women can be great prime ministers or presidents of countries and in management positions, but for the structure of the church and a home, God says, I've ordained a certain responsibility, a certain authority between men and women. But then now, calling men to this accountability, he goes through a list through the pen of Paul concerning elders slash pastors in the church. So if you look at chapter 3 now, let me read the first seven verses where, where Paul writes this. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, circle the word overseer, some of your Bibles say on being a, a bishop, the office of a bishop, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And he must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Okay, pause there for a moment with me. He begins to talk now in this next section. Here's number four on our list of things that should define the church, godly elders and deacons. We stopped right before he starts to talk about deacons, so we'll get to that probably next week. But for the rest of tonight, we're going to talk about being 
what it means to be a godly elder, what it means to be called by God to step up to the plate and be a responsible leader in the local church. And the word elder here is translated overseer in the NIV or bishop in the King James, but it is the Greek word episkopos. So wherever in the NIV, in verse 1, it uses the word overseer, verse 2 uses the word overseer, that's the word episkopos. We get our English word episcopal. The, the Episcopalian structure, that denomination, of that name came from this Greek word episkopos, and it means elder or bishop, but it's actually from two Greek words, epi. Now, when epi is used as a prefix on a word, it, what it means is that the, the word that follows has intensity. And so it's two words, epi, and then the next word is skopos, and skopos means to watch or to look at or to oversee. We get English words like microscope, uh, telescope, okay, being able to see. And so episkopos, epi, and skopos means one who looks at or over something intently. And in this context, it's talking about the church. So an overseer, or again, some translations of bishop, we're talking about the word elder here, is one who is assigned the responsibility of overseeing, of watching intently, caring for God's church. In, in a local church, this is, this is God's bride. This is, uh, this is His church. And so God calls pastors and elders to help oversee and to help care for the flock. Now, just by way of distinction, if you'll go uh, further in 1 Timothy chapter 5, just look real quickly in your Bibles to chapter 5. I want to point out a verse because I want to distinguish something here for our understanding. So in in chapter 5, verse 17, it says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Okay, so note that. What, What I want to point out with you is that it talks about elders who direct the affairs of the church. That's one kind of elder. Are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, that's another kind of elder. So what Paul is saying here is that in the early church, there were elders who were more administrative elders who were helping to oversee the affairs, directing the affairs of the church administratively. And then there were elders whose main responsibility were to preach and teach. So those are, those are more of the ministerial elders. So you have administrative elders and you have ministerial elders. Now, just, just as we're going through this to help you understand a little bit about how we function here, um, and, and, and we always try to do the best we can. There's not, you know, trying to find and follow after the perfect church model. There's a lot of discussion about church government and a lot of uh, opinions about how churches should be managed and governed and overseen. You basically have churches that are congregationally run, where the congregation votes on everything. You have churches that are run by a plurality of elders. You have churches more like ours that are directed by a pastor, but protected by elders. And so there are a variety of of ways that churches can be managed and governed. And I'm not saying that other churches who do it differently than the way we do it are wrong. There are different ways to look at Scripture and to apply Scripture. Uh, But I'm going to tell you how we look at it and how we apply it here at Cornerstone. Basically, when you look at this verse here in chapter 517, we see these administrative elders and these ministerial elders. So listen to this statement. Let me be careful how I say this. Every pastor 
is an elder. Not every elder is a pastor. Okay? Every pastor is an elder. Not every elder is a pastor. What do I mean? Some elders are just uh, purely administrative. They don't have a calling for pastoral ministry, but they are gifted and they, and they are qualified based on what we're going to read in chapter 3, just as much as pastors are. But, there are, but their responsibility are more administratively, and pastors' responsibility are more ministerially. You know, just loving on the sheep and, and visiting the, the sick and doing weddings and funerals and teaching God's Word, preaching and teaching. And so here at Cornerstone, we have, we have a, a group of elders that, that I refer to as the Timothy Council. They're basically the church board. They have to qualify based on chapter 3, their personal lives. And then we have a pastoral staff that also qualify based on chapter 3. But the pastors don't engage in the administrative and financial matters and looking over, you know, how, how the, the money is being managed and, you know, accountability with all of that. And, and when we got into this building, you know, all the building plans and, and the church financing and all that, that was the administrative elders task of directing the affairs of the church. Our pastors, I wanted to make sure we're freed up to constantly be ministering to the spiritual needs of the flock. Okay, so even at Cornerstone, we have two types of elders, but both groups have to qualify according to chapter 3. So if you'll go back to chapter 3 now, I want you to take a look with me at what happens to be here, 15 qualifications. Now, I will, I will tell you this, there are 15, as we read the list, and you'll see when we go through it, there are 15. In the book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 1 He also gives qualifications for elders, and there are another 12. All told, there are 27 qualifications to be an elder. So when God calls certain men to to take responsibility and leadership, you're talking 27 qualifications. This is no easy thing. And there are no perfect men But to the degree that we are able and responsible, we need to live up to this list, okay? And so that's why he starts out by saying, you know, here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. This is a noble thing, but this is a tall order. This is not for the faint of heart. Now, out of the 15, 14 are character issues. One is a gifting and it's, and it's teaching. The other 14, 14 out of 15, are character issues. These are matters of the heart. There's only one that's a gifting issue. And even then, the gift of teaching doesn't necessarily mean that you can stand up in the pulpit. What it does mean, however, is that you are able to clearly, as an elder, discern between what is true doctrine and what is heresy. See, if, if I start, for example, just start preaching heresy and then invite you to start drinking some Kool-Aid, okay, there are a group of men around me that will rein me in and kick me out. Okay, well, yeah. Well, I know what you meant, but that sounded really bad timing. Yes, praise God, but okay, but anyway. Thank you, thank you for helping me to stay humble. Anyhow. I'm going to go through this. We only have a few minutes, so I might have to pick this up next week, but I'm going to go five at a time, okay? And some of these are very self-explanatory. I'm not going to really need to add any commentary to it because some of it is is pretty self-explanatory. Here's the first five. The first 
is above reproach. That an elder or a pastor needs to be above reproach, meaning free from scandal. And we got enough scandals in the church. We don't need pastors to be bringing down God's church. So they should be free from scandal. Now again, above reproach doesn't mean that they're perfect. But it means that the elder is someone about whom no credible charge or accusation can stick. Yeah, uh, people will, you know, gossip and slander. Okay, you can't control that. But, you know, don't even entertain an accusation against an elder, the Bible says, unless brought by two or more. So where there's some, you know, corroboration, that there are some agreement about some things that are bad and wrong, now you have reproach. But otherwise, an elder is to be above reproach, free from scandal, and also to be the husband of one wife. Now, when Paul wrote this, here's what he's up against. In the first century in Rome, now this is, this is where it's important to understand context and culture, but you still don't t- change scripture and adapt it to the culture, but it's important to understand the background. In first century Rome, the culture of the Roman Empire was this, that every man should have one wife to bear his legal children, one concubine for his pleasure, and one mistress for adventure. So that's the first century Roman Empire. That's their thinking, the mentality. Every man's like, I got to have one wife to bear my legal children, one concubine for my pleasure, one mistress for adventure. Paul's basically coming along here saying, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a pastor slash elder in the local church, you have to be a one woman man and you have to be committed to her. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that he's required to be married. Some could look at this and say, okay, he has to be the, you know, the husband of one wife. That means that he must be married. That's not what he's saying. He's addressing the problem of polygamy me in the culture, and he's saying that if you're going to be in a position of spiritual leadership, you need to be devoted to that one woman, if you are married, for the rest of your life, and be faithful to her, okay? So he's addressing the issue of polygamy. He's not even excluding, by the way, men who might be divorced, if in fact their divorce had biblical grounds, or they were divorced before they became a Christian, So we have to be careful in understanding what he's saying here. He's not excluding single men, and he's not excluding divorced men. But he's saying if you are married, you need to be committed to that woman for the rest of your life in a loving, monogamous relationship. And if you are divorced, you're not disqualified, but you need to have biblical grounds. Or perhaps it happened before you became a Christian. In that case, everything is under the blood in in that case. So... That's what he, so that's number two. Number three, he talks about being temperate. Now, the ESV uses the word sober-minded. It's not really about alcohol here. He's going to address alcohol later. But this is more about attitude and judgment, about being sober-minded in attitude and judgment. In other words, being circumspect in in his responsibilities, clear-headed and moderate in things. You know, not living in the extremes. But a pastor elder needs to be temperate, not living in extremes. And then, of course, self-control. You know, self-control, listen, that applies to all of us. I mean, and you'll read through this list and you'll think to yourself, this is not just for elders and pastors. I mean, this is a good list for all of us to live up to. And so being self-controlled is part of the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you know, we often, you know, esteem people who are, you know, self-made people. But, but the real people that God esteems are those who are under the control of the Spirit. And so we need to be people who are self-controlled, governing our passions and appetites uh, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Number five, uh, we are to be respectable. Elders and pastors are to be respectable. In other words, polite and courteous and to be men of honor. 
to be respectable. So why don't we pause it there for tonight, and we'll continue with this list next week. So you can read ahead, and, uh, and we'll, we'll carry on with the qualifications next week. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary. While this New Testament letter of 1 Timothy talks a lot about leadership in the church, the principles you find within apply to everyone. Each of us has a place where we can lead, whether in your job, in your home, or interactions with a younger generation. Are you displaying God's love to those looking up to you? It's not just what you say, it's how you live your life every day. And if you need some advice on how to do that, we encourage you to keep reading in 1 Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You'll be able to listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. And if you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you join us for worship this weekend. Just click on the Cornerstone Chapel logo at the top of the page at cornerstoneconnection.cc to get service times, directions, and all the information you need. One more time, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all we have time for today. Join Pastor Gary next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still you know, you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new life. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.